This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 6, Episode 24, From the Ridiculous to the Sublime. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. And I'm Dan. And joining us is... Andrew Mayer. Andrew Mayer. Andrew P. Mayer, officially, for oh. my word. <laughs> Andrew P. Mayer, an Sorry author with Pyre, uh, who, and your first book is called The Falling Machine. That's right. Excellent. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Now that Dan has told us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> about me or about my book? Uh, either and both. Okay. Um, gosh, I'm, this, uh, this is my first novel um, through Pyre. So um, the second book is coming out in November. I've been, um, when I'm not writing, I'm a video game designer. I've been doing that for a long time. Um, and I've been writing for a long time, but uh, finally put the nose to the grindstone and got the novel finished and, and cleaned up and out and sold. Well, what, fantastic. Uh, what video games have you worked on that our listeners might recognize? Um, the main one that I did long ago and that's still around is Dogs with a Z, Dogs and Cats. Most dogs of, and Cats. Yeah, and Pets with a Z, Horses, Babies, they still, oh, they still yeah. push them out. Actually, I have, yeah. <laughs> long, long since I've had Babies, they still push them out. <laughs> <laughs> that's the new title. Here's your writing prompt. <laughs> Thank you for coming. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about... Uh, Taking ridiculous elements, taking ridiculous uh, concepts, uh, premises, whatever, and and what does sublime mean? Help me out here. Well, what was, are we doing? This was an idea that um, that Andrew brought up when we were talking. Uh, his, his novel is is basically it's a steampunk superhero novel, um, which sounds awesome. Yeah. By <laughs> the way, thank you. Um, and so um, you, you were the one who, who pitched the idea. So why don't you talk a little right. bit about uh, what your concept is with? Sure. So um, the um, the idea of it is, you know, like with when I w- one thing I really enjoy with genre fiction or any genre stuff, and a lot of this comes out of my love of comics. But I think in general is the idea that you can take, you know, the more ridiculous and over the top an idea it is, the more exciting and interesting it is to humanize it and you know make it character driven and story driven, you know, in a, in a realistic way, right? To put people in incredible situations. And I think um, you know, and I think it's interesting with like with genre films, like with all these Marvel movies coming out now, for instance, right? You see something like Thor, where they actually had to tone it down a little bit for the film, right? It's like gods come to Earth, and it's like, well, they're science gods, they're oh, they're not actually gods, gods, right? You know, yeah. but I, I, you know, I look at what I like in comics, I look at what I like in genre fiction of any type, and I love it when they push it to the edge and then somehow tell a realistic story. And the Japanese do that really well in anime as well. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and in the on the subject of comics, that's one of the things I loved so much about the Brian Singer X-Men movies. Is the, the X-Men had already kind of dealt with that issue, but just the way he brought it out as, here's these ridiculous superheroes with these crazy powers, and yet made it, you know, gave it actually some very plausible, very heartstring tugging ties to the Holocaust and to racism and and uh, discrimination of all different kinds. Why don't ha, have you ever tried not being a mutant? You know, little <laughs> yeah. lines like that one. really grounded it and gave this ridiculous story a really solid core of emotion. I mean, in, in some ways, it's a trick because I think people are. I think you can constantly surprise people by finding emotional moments in it. And there's a few tricks that I've been noticing as I've been thinking about it a lot. Like one thing that really affects me is to have a character, for instance, I'm giving away the secrets, but the character, character for instance, who's a superpowered character or a superhuman character and looking at somebody they're protecting or saving and realizing they've lost that life, 
mm. that they can never go back to it. And that's, you, you, if you think about that moment in the movie, it's always a good tearjerker moment. It always instantly grounds and humanizes the characters. Mm -hmm. um, because it's, you know, it's a sense of loss, it's a sense of becoming something else and not being able to go back. Let's take a few minutes and, and talk about uh, films or comics or books, um, especially books if possible because that's what people read. <laughs> um, but uh, places where we think this has been done really, really well. And if we've got some examples, places where we think it's been done just execrably badly. Well, one place this has been done uh, very effectively was uh, Children of Alera, that uh, epic fantasy series. Uh, by Jim Butcher. By Jim Butcher, where basically, as, as I understand, literally on a dare, he decided to take the Pokemon concept and treat it as a serious epic fantasy premise. And the books work marvelously. So Pokemon isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pikachu's real. Oh, crap. I forgot we Pika, were hiding Pika, that from Howard. No. No, we know Pikachu's real because I've seen at least seven people dressed as her at this convention. So. And it gets into the whole thing of the trainer and the relationship there, but we'll not talk about that. <laughs> well, see, and, well, and, and that's exactly the thing. If, if, if Pokemon were real, uh, that relationship would have to be dealt with, and Children of Alera does, and you know goes into all the different kinds of things of. Well, what was the the T-shirt or the bumper sticker that said, "Pokemon taught me that it's okay to make animals fight." <laughs> 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 uh, which, when you think about it, yeah. if you're going to make this serious, well, you yes. have to deal with that. Right. To right. make them fight and to keep them locked up when you're not using them. Yeah, and that's one thing that does fall out of it, right? Like as you start to put more realism into it, you find yourself having to deal, like you'll have that aha moment where you're like, oh, this is easy. And then you'll be like, wait, uh, okay, there's a whole thing there. I have, I have a, um, one of the main characters in, in my book is a, is a mechanical man uh, called the automaton. And there's a lot of readers that are convinced that there should be a romantic relationship with him <laughs> and, and the main character, the, the girl that's the main character in the book. And, you know, it's like, I, I, it's not like it hadn't crossed my mind, but like the complications of, you know, and the mm -hmm. ramifications of that and how that would change that in terms of what kind of book it is. Yes. <laughs> is big. Mm -hmm. so, well, know. as we learned from data, <laughs> he was fully functional. Fully functional. <laughs> That was, that was an early on decision they made that I wonder if they ever regretted. But I, I suspect they did. I they remember one of, my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite lines in Star Trek do, where do uh, Data, Data said, yes, she gave me what might be called a passionate kiss <laughs> in the torpedo bay. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized and that they had... we lost our clean <laughs> No, we haven't. We're still okay. Double entendres are okay. As Apple, as Apple won't catch that. <laughs> so okay. so can, I, can I tell you about the time that I, I wrote a story on a dare? Yes. Yes. Um, so, Evil Robot Monkey uh, was <laughs> sold. <laughs> I so, we had a running joke at um, at Shimmer Magazine about uh, terrible submissions we would get, and and the training title that we used when we were training a new slush reader was Harry Potter and the Evil Robot Monkeys. And I said, I am someday going to write a story called Harry Potter in the Evil Robot Monkeys and make you weep. So, I, I wrote this short. And the only thing I knew going into it was that the title had to be Harry Potter and the Evil Robot Monkeys. And so it was about an uplifted chimpanzee who was doing pottery. And so <laughs> You can see where this is going. <laughs> so he was a Harry Potter yes. evil robot monkey. I wound up editing the title later, but that was my first Hugo nomination. <laughs> wow. Did they cry? They did cry. <laughs> they Brilliant. did cry. So, well, so they, but, they cried but, when they realized the pun you were making. Well, yes. 
That was why my but answer made me change it. That's but a it, perfect example of going from the absolutely ridiculous. Yes. The title is a pun. Yeah. And and this is this is what we're we're getting back to is that that the the way to handle this is to you can do almost anything ridiculous as long as you go back to the core of emotion. Something Carol Burnett once said when talking about comedy was that she just played it straight. She played it as if her character completely believed and was existing in this situation and let everything else happen from that. And I feel like when you're dealing with the ridiculous that that you can take this premise, but you do have to treat the characters in them as complete humans who are dealing with all of the emotional ramifications of wherever you've put them. Mm -hmm. And I have a wonderful example of that, which we will do after our book of the week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Have you found the keys to unlock your best trip? On a Trafalgar tour, you unlock more than just the world. We give you the key to let down your walls and make lifelong friends. The key to discovering hidden talents and fresh perspectives. From one-of-a-kind experiences to iconic destinations, Trafalgar gives you the keys to unlock your best self. Discover more at trafalgar.com unlock. That's T-R-A-F-A-L-G-A-R dot unlock. Tour differently. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, book of the week this week is Mainspring by Jay Lake. This is one that uh, Andrew recommended to us. Tell us a bit about it. Uh, sure. Uh, Mainspring is a story of a boy in the. I don't think I'm giving away because in the very first chapter, he's. It's a world. Well, the world is a clockwork world. It's it's Earth. It's very similar Victorian world. It's a steampunkish novel, but the world is actually a clock clockwork universe. There's a big um, gear in the middle of the Earth, and it winds around. Uh, winds cool. around the sun. The equator is a giant gear. Yeah, and big at, brass gear. At midnight, at midnight, uh, when you know local midnight for you, you can hear the tooth yeah. contact <laughs> as as right. as the Earth spins by on the actual physical track it's on in the heavens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and an angel, so cool. And an angel comes to him and tells him that the, the mainspring of Earth is winding down, and he and this uh, young gentleman has to go and and try to discover and, and rewind the Earth's spring. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's excellent book from an excellent writer. We do give a bit of a content warning on it. Uh, but uh, if you've never read Jay Lake, that's a great one to start with. And, and an excellent example of taking a completely ridiculous premise. <laughs> um, True enough. Yeah. And, and making it into something yeah. quite magical. Mm-hmm. So head on out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Kick off a 14-day free trial membership and download a copy of Mainspring by Jay Lake uh, for free. Yeah. All right. Now, back to the example I wanted to talk about, about uh, taking something silly but then treating the characters within it as, as completely real people. Uh, and uh, this is what I want to talk about is the song 
I Google You by Neil Gaiman, which you can find on YouTube performed by Amanda Palmer. And it's basically, Gaiman started with this silly premise of the internet stalker, someone who is hopelessly in love with someone and looks them up on Google every night. And the first verse and a half, chorus, whatever, of the song is hilarious because it's this obviously pathetic person who is just constantly Googling this person. And then as the song goes on, you start to realize how sad that really is and how alone this, must pers this person must actually be. And by the end, it actually gets you a little bit teary uh, by really delving into that kind of loneliness and obsession and sadness. It's, it's a wonderful So this is a case where Gaiman isn't making the ridiculous sublime. He is starting you from an actual point of ridicule. Mm -hmm. We are laughing at this person, and then at the end we are realizing the seriousness, the, the yeah. legitimacy of this, uh, this horrible human condition. Well, and, and wrapped around you know, a, a very silly title and a very goofy concept. One, so. one, one thing uh, that's happened to me, because you know, this is my first book, so I'm learning a few things, and, and one thing is, you know, because I'm coming from a place of superheroes, I, I want to set up that contrast like that mm -hmm. that we're talking about. And, um, but I'm, you know, I, because it's, a, it's ultimately going to be a trilogy, I, I left some of that on the table, but, but people don't know who I am. So they're taking it, like I'm getting feedback, like, oh, well, you know, these characters are just so broadly drawn, like some of these characters, and it's like, well, ah, oh, right, because you don't know that I'm going to take it there yet. Mm -hmm. You have no experience or expectation of that. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. People, people do take things, um, you know, as they're given, I think, especially when they're in a book or something like that. So yeah. the twist can work really well if you yeah, pull it off and, right. Yeah, and, uh, and that is difficult to do. I mean, most of our listeners are aspiring writers, and they have uh, much more of an uphill climb, I think, than, uh, than others when they are starting with a premise like we're talking about. Uh, one, of the one of the examples of someone who's done this very effectively is Orson Scott Card, again, essentially on a dare. Uh, he was at a convention talking about how you could take a, pretty much anything and turn it into a good science fiction story. And someone in the audience said, well, how about a culture that worships human excrement? <laughs> and he said, okay. And he did it. And it's actually a very good story. Um, he, he would probably have a much easier time getting that story published than someone who'd never published anything before. The same, at the same time, though, right? A lot of new writers, a lot of, you know, when people, I mean, there's ideas that you're excited about that you want to write about that are, that are inspiring, and they can often be pretty out there, right? So, I mean, I think the challenge, you know, it, it, learning how to control those instincts or uh, get your skills around those instincts, I think, is, is a great challenge for people who are starting out. So, so let's talk about some of the skills that you can bring to bear on something that is a completely ridiculous premise. When, you, when you've got a completely ridiculous idea... What's the first step that you take when you're trying to flesh it out and discover whether or not there's a story in there that you can, can actually use? I ask the question, how could this possibly have happened? Mm. Uh, you know, I, I world build backwards from it a little bit. Um, and then, I, and part and parcel with that, uh, same side of the, different coin, same side, no, whatever. Uh, what comes next? What are the ramifications? So I just, I, I, start, I start painting to the left and to the right to see what it looks like. And as I'm doing that, I'm doing that as seriously as possible. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I do something very similar. I, I, I look at, you know, how did, uh, I use the, uh, the, is it a thousand whys that Scott Card talks about? But you, you basically, well, why is it like this? How did we get here? 
and and then going backwards and then going forwards too. But I also look at um, so if this uh, if this thing exists, how does it affect the richest person in society, and how does it affect the poorest person in society? And that kind of get, starts to give me a broad spectrum of of around whatever this ridiculous idea is. So you actually have tools for measuring these <laughs> ramifications where I just forge blindly ahead. Hey, I, forging blindly will eventually work. I, yeah. Because I, 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 I have what I call, I, one of the things that pushed my writing career back for a long time is I had what I called RPG disease. So like I would world build and never get around to the story or I'd, I'd wall myself in and never actually get to the writing. So I know I can do the world building part. So for me, the first question is given this craziness, what, what does the character want, right? Like, just go back mm -hmm. to the basic question yeah. and saying, mm -hmm. now yeah. there's, you know, like, and that really leads to interesting stories. Like, given that there's a god in the world, you know, if you have a villain or something, it's like, well, if I kill him, I take his power. So that's excellent. Like, and then the character motivation happens, right? And so, you know, I always, can, I always think that there's an answer to why. I think if you just sit down around the table for a while, long enough, you'll come up with something. Like, mm -hmm. if you're a good nerd, you'll figure it out. The, the, the fun part is figuring out, okay, what does a character, like in a world where that exists, for whatever reason, and we'll come up with it later, what does a character want and why? And how do they, and you know, and that's, and that's where the excitement, I think, starts to happen for me, right? Or, and, and the motivation for the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the thing that grounds the story as well, that, right. that what does the character want is the thing that there's, um, in, in theater we talk about the viewpoint character, which is the character, and it works for fiction too, but it's the character through which the audience connects to the stage, to what's happening on stage. And, and I think that by finding those, those basic human core emotions and wants and needs, that that helps the, the reader connect and understand with whatever this is happening. And it, it also allows you to draw analogies between the crazy that you've put on the page with, mm -hmm. with real life. With the human emotion, yeah. right? Like I, I have a need, right, or that's needs gonna be fulfilled, right? Yeah, so, the so. Uh, one, very, very quickly, we need to end, but uh, one of the tools I always use when I come up with an idea is figure out what, what the, the conflict is going to be. Mm -hmm. You know, where are all the points of friction? And a good example of where this could have gone wonderfully and didn't was the third X-Men movie yes. that started with the premise of there's a cure, you know? Right. And that, sociologically, if there is a way to suddenly not have whatever it is that makes you different from everybody else, that's an incredibly deep idea that could have gone so well and creates wonderful conflict within every character in the story, and then they just kind of glossed over it. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's what, yeah, and, and it's what, it, it, would, it, oh, it got close, right? It's what makes Magneto work, right? Like, he's, mm -hmm. he's a, when they, the, Magneto's a great character because he's a villain who loves being a mutant and believes that mutants deserve a place on the top of the, of the, of the chain, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it's always a great conflict with him. Yeah. Exactly. All right, we need to wrap this up, but first we need a writing prompt, and we're going to go ahead and do our traditional rude, mean thing. And ask Andrew to give us a writing prompt? Yes. Okay. Um, this, is for, this is for our uh, many thousands of listeners um, who so have no just pressure. been... No pressure at all. <laughs> who have just been told that it is possible to take something ridiculous and uh, make it sublime. Uh, if you want to work in those lines, you can, or if you want to just do something... Sure. Um, how about different. a story about um, um, a character who discovers that there's a pill out there that gives you the powers of a god? And you can pick the god. You can pick the god, and, but it comes in <laughs> <Nice>. pill form. <laughs> can I get a bottle of Thor, please? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Very good. One <laughs> bottle of one bottle of Thor coming up. Prescription strength Thor. Prescription strength Thor. <laughs> the over-the-counter Thor is just not doing it for me. Yes, but you can't. No driving he uh, or, or yes. No operating heavy <laughs> machinery. No heavy machinery. Heavy machinery is fine. You're required <laughs> to operate. It's not Thor is heavy mean. machinery. It's just it's just <laughs> Thor. <laughs> All right, uh, fair listener, you are out of excuses. Go right. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.